let's jump into our teaching this morning. You know, this morning, I just want to start off with this. Uh, coming up in November is mine and my wife's seven-year anniversary. Um, it is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we've been married for going on seven years now, and it's crazy because, you know, even though sometimes just in general life, the days and even the weeks can feel like really long, it's crazy because you turn around and already, you know, six and a half, seven years has gone by. My daughter is getting ready to be five, and it's just crazy how time passes. But I was kind of thinking as I was prepping back to when we first got married and the first house we moved into. Um, and the first house we moved into is a rental place. Uh, many of you know uh, Mr. Dan and Miss Yvonne Newman. Mr. Dan has since gone on home to be with the Lord, but they allowed us to uh, rent from an extra house that they had. And um, it was great because it was our first place. It was on some land. And so we had kind of just the place to ourselves, um, especially being a newly married couple. But this was an old house, and I'm talking an old house. It was built in, I think, the somewhere around the 40s in Noonan, and it was actually moved out to Franklin where we uh, lived. And and Mr. Dan would say it himself. In fact, he told me the story. He was as good old boy country as good old boy country can get. And he, um, kind of an example of a story he told when they moved that house out to Franklin, they kind of had built the foundation up around it, and they moved the house, they set the house on, and they kind of looked back, and the house is leaning a little bit. So naturally, what did they do? Of course, they got a tractor, and they just kind of pushed the house back up <laughs> to where it was kind of just, oh, yeah, that looks about like level. That's the kind of house this was, right? It's a little 900-square-foot house, and that's after the additions were built onto it, but it was great for what we moved into. But pretty quickly when we moved in, I knew that this was not going to be the house that me and my wife were going to want to stay at. You know, I mean, is we were going to want to go to a new house, let alone who knows how long the house was going to be standing. I mean, you got the floors going every which way. We had to put up trim even, and you had to account for the dip in the ceiling this way and the wall dipping this way. And that's like that's the kind of house this was because it was an old house. And so me and my wife started saving, and we wanted to just think about, okay, what is this next house we're going to get? We wanted to get out into a new house. Fast forward a couple years later, we had our first daughter, Mila, and we, you know, then we had two of us, a baby, in a 900-square-foot house, and it started feeling a little bit small. And so we were really like, all right, we are thinking about this new house. We want to get into a new and a bigger place. Fast forward another couple years, we have our second daughter, Ava, and now you got two grown people, a toddler and a baby in a 900-square-foot house. And it's getting real cramped and real small feeling in there. And so, you know, that was just our focus is like, all right, we got to get into a new and a bigger place. And finally, about a year later, my dad was selling a rental house of his, and it was a big upgrade. It was going from 900 square feet to a little over 1,800 square feet. And so we were like, yes, we want to buy this. It was a good price, closer to Noonan, which is everything we wanted. So we bought the house, and we started working on it all through the summer, all through the fall. And just thinking, all right, we're ready to get in this house. The more we would work on this house and then come back to our small house, the smaller the house is feeling. And we were just like, all right, we got to get into this new house. Finally, about December, it comes time. We finally finished up the house and we got moved in. And it was awesome. And we were getting unpacked. And, you know, we're moving from, you know, doubling the size. We actually had blank space on the walls and it was great. And a couple weeks later, we're getting settled in. And I'm like, this house is awesome. I wish it was just a little bit bigger. <laughs> and I wish, you know, it had a little bit of a garage on it. Maybe one extra bedroom would be awesome. And isn't that, I think, the human epidemic of our lives is it is really hard to be content in lives. There is always 
something better. There's always something greater. And no matter where you're in, there's always the pull to be at some other place, you know, wherever that is. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. And in that, I want to kind of use the book of Philippians to talk about that. So go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. The book of Philippians has actually become one of my favorite books of the Bible recently. Um, And we went through it as a youth group. All the leaders and the youth went through this book in the second semester of youth um, this past spring. And I don't know about you, I'm going to be honest up here for a minute. Well, actually, I want to be honest the whole time, but so let me retract that. I'm going to be honest about this, and maybe, um, but they, up until not too in the distant past, you know, fairly recently, I had done a lot of study of the Bible and through church and through things that know a lot of different passages, but there's not a lot of books that I had just sat down and read chapter one through the end of the book, you know, and I don't know if, if you've done that or haven't done that, um, but there is so much that I think that can be gained from just reading through a book. And if you haven't read through the book of Philippians, I highly encourage you to. It's only four chapters. They're short. I mean, you could do it in a day in like 30, 40 minutes, but you could even take them up and break it into four days if you need to, and you'll be done. Because there is so much understanding and context that you kind of get that can frame certain verses that come to your mind that you know so that when you have those verses, you understand the context. Because I think a lot of biblical content these days is consumed in verses, which is good because, you know, the truth is still there. It's not not there just because it's in verses. And for the sake of time, it's not like every time you do a Bible study, you can go through a whole book of the Bible. So, you know, it needs to be consumed in verses. But a lot of the time, that's where we stay is just in those verses and the bad side of being in those verses is that sometimes it's real easy to take verses out of context when we don't understand the context of these verses. And the passage that we're going to be talking about today is definitely one of those. So let me kind of just real quick fly through and set the stage for the book of Philippians. So imagine, if you will, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, he is, well, at this time that Philippians was written, he is on one of his missionary journeys, and as happens time and time again, the not only do the religious Jews not like him because he is teaching that this Messiah that they've been waiting for was this guy, Jesus, that he is the Christ, um, and he is teaching that. But in these days, the government also did not like the apostles because of what they were stirring up and and just... Various reasons they did not like him. So Paul, time and time again, finds himself under house arrest or in jail. This is one of those times. Paul has been put under house arrest in Caesar's household and in a place that he has, um, and that's where he's staying. As is Paul's heart for ministry and heart for the Lord, you imagine Paul in house arrest for going on days, going on weeks, and he's just thinking about all these churches that he started Unlike today where we can just shoot somebody a text or an email, hey, how's things going? He wouldn't hear from these churches for weeks, for months, for some of them probably even years at a time. So he's praying for these people. He's writing letters to other churches, and he's there days at a time, weeks at a time, just kind of there. All of a sudden, one of these days, guard comes in and says, hey, you got a visitor. And Paul's like, oh, that's interesting. That's probably never happened before. So visitor comes in, guy named Epaphroditus shows up. Now Epaphroditus, Paul would have known because he was one of the believers at the church in Philippi, hence the name Philippians for the book of Philippians. 
And he shows up, not only just him, but he shows up with a gift of money that the church has brought for Paul in support of his ministry. And so not only was this cool because this guy showed up and that had really happened before, but Paul, it has, it, we learn in the end of Philippians that no other church had monetarily supported him in his ministry up to this point. The church of Philippians was evidently the first church, at least in this missionary journey, maybe in all, that had actually supported Paul in his missionary journey. You imagine Paul at this point, this guy comes, he learns about the church, that they are just on fire for Jesus, that they haven't strayed from what he's been taught. He has some money that Paul really, I mean, in a human standpoint, needed at that time because he was out of money. And so he is just grateful for these people. So he writes this letter to the Philippian church, and it's just full of thanks and gratitude, encouragement for the things that he's heard from Epaphroditus on what he has been doing and things to kind of keep doing and things, you know, as Paul is a teacher, he wants to continue to teach them. We get that kind of context, and that is the framework for the book of Philippians. And so he goes through three and a half chapters just talking to the Philippian believers about what to continue in. And chapter four, he's really taking a minute kind of in the second half of this to just thank the Philippian believers for this gift that they gave him. And towards the end of this book, um, we see, like I said, he, he, Paul thanking Philippians. And as Paul often does, he just kind of drops this huge truth bomb right in the middle of his praise. And then he just continues on. But this is the passage that I want to focus on. And it's what Nate read for us earlier. Because it is one of the most recognizable passages, I think, inside and outside of Christianity. And I also think it's one of the most misused and misinterpreted passages oftentimes in probably all of the book of the Bible. But the cool thing about this passage that we're talking about today and why I love this so much is sometimes there's some passages in the Bible that you'll talk about and that you kind of know and comes to mind and people will use and misquote. When you find out the true context, you realize, oh, this wasn't even necessarily written to me as a believer. This was written to the Jews under the law or other things. This passage today, when you understand the context, has profound meaning for our lives even when it's applied correctly, you know? So when it's applied correctly, it has profound meaning for our lives. So let's kind of jump into it. If you're already in Philippians, go to chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 10. So verse 10 says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that it now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. So the first thing we see here is that Paul is thanking the Philippian believers and rejoicing in the Lord because of the Philippians' gift to him, because of the gift that they gave him. Again, understanding the context probably can tell, show you how thankful Paul is for this because he didn't necessarily have, you know, he would go to towns and he would work sometimes, but he didn't always have the opportunity, especially being under house arrest, didn't have any money. So he's very thankful for this. He also recognizes that this church was one that always cared but didn't always have an opportunity. He says, though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. And a whole lot more could be said about that because it is, you know, just what you could go into about a church who has their right focus on what a church should be and what they should be doing and and a right focus on being ready to respond to the Lord. But we don't have time for that today. Just a really cool side note. But then Paul wants to make a clarifying statement. So he says, thank you for this gift. I really appreciate it. But he doesn't want the Philippian believers to misunderstand anything he's going to say. So he makes a clarifying statement. And that's where verse 11 comes in. So verse 11, 
Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And that's kind of what we want to talk about this morning is to be content. That's what I want to focus on today. What is it and how do I get it? Um, the word contentment means a state of peaceful happiness. And maybe that brings something to your mind um, this morning, just what a state of peaceful happiness looks like. Um, oftentimes, though, you know, depending on what it is in your mind that it brings to the mind, contentment always just seems, kind of like in my story at the beginning, contentment seems just out of reach. You know, like, this stuff is really good, but, you know, I just, once I get this little bit, I'll I'll be happier you know, once I get this little extra thing, then I can really settle down and be content. And that is really the trap of the world and the trap of sin is to, conf- to find contentment outside of Christ. Because as we know, there is an endless supply of things in this world that promise to make us, ha- to make us happy. And for the world, things equal happiness equals contentment, and therefore things equal contentment. And that is what the world and what sin would try to tell you is that things are going to make you content. And it's not necessarily like physical things. You know, how many times do we ourselves find ourselves saying, or we know outside in the world too, we we hear this, that, you know, I'll really be happy when I have X, Y, Z, whether it's a new car, a new house. I'll really be happy when I have a new job. I'll really just be able to breathe and just be content when I get out of this situation that I'm in, when I get into this next thing. And I I really just need to get into a relationship. I really just need to get married. I just need to get out of this relationship that I'm in. I really just need, you know, to get through this schooling, to get a better job that pays more. Then I won't have to worry so much. Then I can be content. But what do we so often find all the time? You know, you've heard the saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. When we finally get to that place, that we were so longing for, it's like, well, this is really good, but, you know, this next thing is what I need. Or sometimes we don't even think about the fact that we've gotten to this place that we've been longing for so much because we're so focused on what we're going to have next and what we need next and what's really going to satisfy us and make us happy. You know, I heard this podcast one time where this uh, this guy was interviewing this comedian, and this comedian, he said, hey, you've you know, you've done all these things. You've had TV shows, you've had movies, you've done tours in stadiums with thousands of people. You've obviously made a whole lot of money. What do you think, how much money is enough money to really settle down and be satisfied? And the guy said, in a little bit of a joking manner, but he was serious too, he said, just a little bit more. That, that I just need a little bit more and then I'll really have enough, even though he'd done all this. And that is where we so often find ourselves uh, so many times. So what is contentment and what does it look like? Let's go back to the book of Philippians. Go back to Philippians if you're still in, and continue on reading. So verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And he's, Paul says this, uses this phrase, everywhere and in all things. So contentment, contentment can come everywhere at all times and be found in all things. That means that contentment can, is being satisfied when life is good. And we feel like it's really easy to be content when life is good. You know, like, okay, well, you know, things are good. Why would you not be content? But as we were just talking about, 
you know, even in our own lives, have we ever really felt like, okay, everything is good? You know, everything is really good. Um, he used this word abound. You know, have we ever really felt like we're just abounding and like everything is, everything is okay? I hope for your sake that you have, because that means you're abiding by this principle, but the temptation is always there to have that just a little bit more mindset. And Hebrew, the book of Hebrews actually says this. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And with such things as you have, we often think about that as being, you know, I don't really have very much, so I'll be satisfied with the things that I have. But he just says, with such things as you have. So even when you have a lot and life is really good and you have this, you know, immediate blessing that you can really see around you that you have, you know, what you would feel like is a life of abundance, be content with those things that you have. Whether you just have enough to get by, you can be content with those things that you have. And what does he say the reason is? The four there? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is going to be really important. We're going to come back to this in just a minute, that God is always with us, providing what we need in every situation. Contentment is being satisfied when life is good, when we're in the abounding. And contentment is also being satisfied when life is bad. And he, Paul uses this word here, abased, which means to make low, to bring low, to humble. And we all, I think, know we either have gone through or maybe you are going through a season where you just can feel like I can relate to that abased nature. The thing where I have low, whether that is the things going on around you in your life, the money or you that you do or you don't have. But the interesting thing about life being bad and, you know, and you being what you would consider yourself abased is that Paul says, I've learned still to be content even in that. I think there's a couple truths that's really cool that really can help maybe frame our mind. Do you know that not only, like we are not promised as believers, and which we would all probably know and agree to, we're not promised as believers that things are going to go well in our lives just because we're believers. Just because we're believers in Christ, we're not promised that life is going to be good. In fact, not only are we not promised that life is going to be good, we're actually going to be promised that things are going to be bad. There are going to be times and seasons of tribulation. Turn to the book of John real quick, John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this truth is still applicable to us as well. Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, and all his disciples were going to flee from him because things were about to get really bad. <clears throat> and he says, you know, the hour has come that you're going to be scattered. This is in verse 32 each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the father is with me. And then verse 33 is this key passage. So verse 33 of John 16, these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So not only are we not promised that life is always going to go well for us as believers, but we're actually promised that in this life, we're going to have tribulation and I think it's a really strangely comforting promise in a way that we can be content when life has us in an abased, you know, when we are abased in life. Because you think of this example of, let's say you were coming to my house and I said, okay, you're going to go drive down this highway for about 10 miles and then you're going to turn left 
you're going to go down that road for about three miles, X, Y, and Z road for three miles, and my house is going to be over there on the right. And so you come to my house, you get in the car, you drive down the highway, about 10 miles you see X, Y, Z road, so you turn left on that, and you're driving down that, and all of a sudden the road starts getting a little bit narrow. What was the paved road turns to dirt. And in fact, you got to start kind of going slower because there's potholes in the road that you kind of got to get around. And the whole time, you know, you're thinking, is this the right place? And then you start freaking out because, you know, your GPS or your cell phone is like running out of service and your GPS is not working. You're like, I can't even make a call if this is not the right place. And you're kind of freaking out. Now take a step back and let's say I said, I gave you directions to my house. I said, you're going to go down this highway about 10 miles. You're going to turn left on the XYZ road. About three miles, you're going to go down that road. Be aware, the road about halfway down turns to gravel. In fact, it's not maintained. We can't get the city out there to do anything about it, so there's potholes all over the place. So you're going to probably have to drive slow. But about three miles, you'll see my house over there on the right. It's 416 or whatever it is. Well, now you drive down the road, you know, get to the place, you turn left, you get to that road and you see that gravel road and you see those potholes and you think, okay, this is what he told me. I know I'm on the right place because he told me that, the, that it, this road is going to be that way. It's the same thing with life. It, there is a strange comfort that comes from knowing that we are promised that in this world we are going to have tribulation. But we can take comfort in the fact that, Christ, that Jesus himself says, I have overcome the world. Regardless of what life is like because sin is in the world, because people have free will to make bad choices, we can still rest in the fact that God is in control and that he loves us and cares immensely for us. You Go back to Hebrews 13. God has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And that's where we can find our contentment. We can be content with the things that we have because regardless of what life is like, God is always there. He will never leave us and never forsake us. And John Wesley is actually reported to have said this, and I really like this quote. He says, I do not know which dishonors God the most, to doubt his love and care or to curse and swear. Yet every saint would shrink from the latter with abhorrence, while many of us have no sense of the wrong we do when we fret and worry. When we doubt that God is in control, when we doubt that God is going to take care of us, that we doubt that he loves us, And that can do harm to our spiritual lives. So Paul says, in whatever state, he has learned to be content, whether life causes him to abound or whether he's abased in life. Content when the Philippians gift causes him to have plenty of money to purchase food and lodging and content when it's run out or it's taken from him and he's put into prison. See, the Bible, the writers of the Bible understood this principle that the things of the world do not satisfy and that happiness alone does not equal contentment in our lives. Happiness alone and the things of this world are not what's going to satisfy us. If that's what we look to satisfy us, we are always going to be chasing the next thing. In fact, Proverbs 30 says this, two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies from me and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of of my God. See, it's not just wealth that doesn't make you content, 
as we see here in Proverbs, both wealth and poverty have this temptation with them to take our eyes off of Jesus Christ and to put them on what's going on right now. And the book of Ecclesiastes, in fact, is filled with this understanding as the writer takes us through thing after thing that in the end don't satisfy us. Before I go any further, I do want to just say don't misunderstand me here because I'm not trying to teach or preach that you shouldn't set goals or want things or desire things like as though the act of having these things is bad or, you know, that you shouldn't have a desire to get married or have more money to provide for your family. Those things in and of themselves are not bad. And, you know, I think we're all too often, or at least I know I myself am a creature of black and white. And if you look at even, you know, you take our country as a whole, we are pendulum swingers and we want to go all the way to one side and we find up that doesn't satisfy us. And so instead of trying to find a middle ground, we just swing all the way over here to the other side, you know, and we do that in life. Like, oh, wealth is not going to bring you, uh, bring you joy, bring you happiness, bring you contentment. So we really need to be poor. And that's really where you're going to find contentment. If you have things and you have a lot of money, that's bad, right? But I think there's a middle ground here. And what's important is what is our main focus in life? Because if it's things or position or the state of our life, we're always going to be chasing that and not focusing on our lives in the here and now. And how does God want to use me? And how can I be content and satisfied where I am right now? Maybe with the goal of, hey, I would like to get into this other place, but I'm still here right now. So how can I be used right now? And the the key is that contentedness comes from Christ and is found in him. And see, the trap of religion to find contentedness outside of Christ is this, because before we go thinking, you know, oh, just, well, that's just the world. That's, you know, that's the world's trap and that's sin's trap. That's not going to happen when we're in a church and we're all religious people. Well, Paul wrote another letter uh, to a different church that was not quite as happy and as upbeat as as this letter was. And the letter was the one to the church of Corinth. See, the church of Corinth had some trouble. Paul had helped start this church, taught them in the gospel, left to go, you know, to other churches on his missionary journey. And after Paul left them, this church began to just fall apart due to a mix of different thoughts and teachings that came both with in the church and also false teachers coming out from outside the church and the church instead of listening to Paul and backing things up with what the Bible said they just listened to these other guys both within and without they eventually devolved into a church that was just filled with this out of control speaking in tongues sexual immorality infighting comparison and just all this clashing and infighting one of the church's largest problems that they was that they were consumed with what everyone else around them was both doing and not doing. Whether they followed the teachings of Paul or whether they followed the teachings of Apollos, whether they were eating certain meats or whether they weren't eating certain meats, the way they conducted themselves inside and outside of the church, and you know whether when they how they conducted themselves outside of the church. Uh, you had people who were comparing themselves because there were people falling asleep during church because the meetings were going on for so long about all kinds of different things. And so they were saying, well, that guy's a terrible guy. At least I'm not like that guy. And the comparison and judgment of others was consuming them from the inside out. In a church where 
we should have one central message that unifies us all when we're more con- when we're more concerned with those around us than the truth of the gospel that we believe and the truth that we believe in there's no contentment when we're so concerned with well at least i'm not like him or at least i'm not like her or on the other side being like man i wish i was as spiritual as this person man i wish i had the spirituality of this other person here when we're consumed with comparison in the religious setting we're never going to find contentment in that. And that's what Paul understood in one of the things that he wrote to that church in Corinth to really just drive into them is you need to be unified together and stop comparing yourselves to other people. Focus on your relationship with the Lord and other things are going to come out through that. Those are two big examples of what contentment does not look like. Those are, you know, contentment is not the things found in the world. Those are not going to bring us happiness. The contentment is also not found in how we are doing or not doing spiritually as compared to other people. So the question is, what is contentment? How do we get this contentment? Because we all want this contentment. Let's flip back to Philippians chapter 4. That's where this verse comes in. And I'll start again because it's short. I'll start in verse 12 again. Paul says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, it's Christ who's strengthening us and Christ is where our contentment is going to come from. It's him and his strength to give us contentment in our lives. And this is the crux of this whole section here is verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, all these truths are fantastic about, you know, knowing that we're going to have tribulation in our lives and knowing that we shouldn't compare ourselves to other people, but we should be concerned with what the Lord thinks of us and how we're walking with him. But it's all completely useless if we don't recognize verse 13. Um, and the truths that come for, through verse 13. Because we all too often look at this verse this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we add the through Christ who strengthens me is like the through Christ who strengthens me. You know, like well, that's the kind of part we almost forget about. In fact, I was talking to Pastor John about this uh, passage that I was going to be teaching on this morning. And he said, oh yeah, that passage. I always remember he played minor league baseball for a while. And he said, every time I would get up to bat, I would just think I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can hit a home run through Christ who strengthens me. I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. And that's not the point that Paul's getting at. It's not that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but it's Christ who strengthens me. In fact, I like the way the Young's literal translation puts this, especially in light of what Paul's talking about here. Young's literal translation says, for all things, I have strength in Christ's strengthening me. See, for all things, I have these strengths. I have learned in everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be content. Why? Because I can do all these things. I can go through all these things. I can endure all these things. For every situation, we can have strength. We can have contentment because it's Christ who's strengthening us. It's Christ, in Christ is where we're going to find that. In fact, even just looking at the word contentment, let's look at that word again, content a state of peaceful happiness. 
You see the two words there, peace and joy. What do you often, what do you automatically think of? Those are two of the outworkings of the fruit of the Spirit. So we can't have contentment when we're outside of Christ. Contentment only comes when it's Christ who's strengthening us. It's in Christ's strengthening through me. The Spirit bears this fruit in us when we are abiding in Christ. When we have Christ strengthening us, we have to be abiding in Him. It means we're living in a Christ-like way. We have our focus in the right place set on Christ. John 15, in fact, says this. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And that is the key. If we want to have the contentment in our lives for every situation that we're in, it has to come from Christ as we are abiding as a branch abides in a vine. And then those fruits are going to be produced through us. That fruit is going to be produced through us. And this is why Paul spends three and a half chapters before he even gets to verse 13 of chapter four. He spends three and a half chapters talking about our mindset and how to abide with Christ. What is somebody who's abiding with Christ? What does a church who's unified together and abiding with Christ look like? Now, this is why for all things I have strength in Christ strengthening me. Because that is the key of the passage. It's not the fact that I can just do all things. And that's the way we often misunderstand it is that I can do all these things. But it's really the, all the things that we can do is be abased and be about and abound. We can endure all these things for all things. I have strength through Christ strengthening us. That's where contentment is found. And the great thing about understanding this truth is that when we understand that contentment comes from Christ, we understand that we can find contentment regardless of our circumstances. And that's, that's where Hebrews 13 comes in. We find contentment in Christ, and that's why it's so good that Christ says, I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Because if Christ left us or forsook us, there goes our contentment. There goes our fruits of the Spirit. Because contentment is a state of mind, not a state of being. Contentment is not a state of where are things in this world? How much do I have around me? How much do I not have around me? How much comparatively do I have versus somebody else? Contentment is, where's my focus? Am I abiding with Christ? Am I resting with Christ? It's a state of focus and relying on Christ for his strength to endure situations. And when we understand that, we understand too that contentment isn't being fake either. As Christians, we sometimes think, okay, well, I need to be content, so I just got to pretend like everything's, you know, hunky-dory and everything is all really good even when situations aren't. Contentment is understanding that life has its up and downs. Because sin is in the world, because the people have free will, you know, God wants people to have free will because he wants them to make choices and he wants them to choose Christ. God could have easily just made us people who could only choose him and could only do the right things, and we had no other choice. But then that would take away our free will, and that would take away our relationship that we have with Christ. See, Christ, excuse me, Christ wants us, God wants to have a relationship with us, and to have a true relationship, we have to make that choice to want to be in that relationship with him. Both, you know, making the choice of understanding what Christ did for us and trusting in his solution for our salvation, but then in our moment-by-moment 
walk of faith as well. Christ wants us to choose him. But because he, we have free will, because sin is in the world, we and other people around us make choices that affect our lives and can affect our lives negatively. But contentment is understanding that even through that, in the ups and the downs, we can still be content because God is still in control and contentment comes from him. And in that, we understand that, you know, if that really comes from him and we can be content where we are, then wherever we are in life, God still wants to use us. And he still wants us to grow closer to him in a moment-by-moment walk of faith. He's never going to leave us and never forsake us. And so sometimes that contentment can come within our circumstances that we're in. Sometimes that contentment can come in spite of our circumstances. And like I said at the beginning, we often have this view that, well, life is difficult right now, so it's really hard to be spiritual. I don't know how I can be used for God because, you know, look at the, the place that I'm in. When I get to this next place, when I get in this relationship, when I get out of this relationship, when I get to this job, when I get to this next place where I have more free time, you know, then I can really start being used for Christ. Then I can have that focus on Christ and abiding with him. But according to the Bible, we can start right now. Wherever we are in life, we can do it right now. We can start abiding with him because God has something planned for our lives that he wants us to walk in right now. Regardless of where our circumstances are, God has good works that he's designed for us, not only to benefit ourselves spiritually, but to benefit others around us as well. Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them whenever life is going okay. No, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And God wants us to walk in these good works every single day. He has made you unique and he has given you giftings where you can be used to benefit yourself and to benefit others, both for reaching others for Christ and benefiting people within the body of Christ. That can't come when we're focused on everything else that we need to really be content or the place that we need to be in to be able to actually really be spiritual. No, we can abide with Christ and find that contentment regardless of our circumstances. He's not waiting on us to get to the next right thing or the next place. He wants us now. He wants us in this moment. God wants us to be with him here and now because he wants to be the one to give you the contentment, the one who supplies all your needs. People don't really tell you just how much you can learn about yourself when you're parenting. Um, and it has really started coming to light as I have a, you know, going on five-year-old and a two-year-old, how much I learn about who I am as a person, both in the things that I struggle with and um, just who I am as, you know, relating to others around me when you have children. And if you've ever had little kids or you have little kids currently, you know that Kids have big emotions and they are working through how to kind of corral some of these big emotions and what's important, what's not. So it is real easy for everything to just go from nothing to blah, just 100, you know, zero to a hundred. And I remember at dinner one time about a year ago, I can't even remember what it was. I think it was, we needed ketchup on the table and 
If you understand ketchup in my house, it's a big deal. Ketchup in my house is a huge deal. Ketchup goes on everything, and it's with every meal. And so there's cucumbers that we have to have ketchup for. And one of my daughters is just freaking out. Like, I got to have this ketchup. No, the ketchup's in the fridge. You need to get this ketchup. And I'm like, I'm working on something else. I'll get the ketchup in a second. And she said, no, no, I got to have the ketchup. I can't eat my cucumbers if I don't have the ketchup. I got to have this ketchup. And I stopped, and I turned, and I said, Mila, have I ever not given you what you needed? And I thought immediately, as soon as I said that, I was like, hmm, how often in my life am I that way where I'm freaking out about my circumstances, where I'm, you know, like, oh, you know, things are going poorly. I don't know when, you know, if the next paycheck is going to be enough money to cover this, or I don't know if I'm going to be able to have this. I really want to get this. And God's just here saying, I have everything you need. Have I ever not given you the things that you need? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Just abide with me. Just, just stay with me and, and live with me. Re- seek to be closer to me and these things will come. Doesn't mean these things will come as in your bad circumstances are immediately going to go away. <clears throat> but the contentment through your circumstances will, you will find a different perspective on life. For all things, we can have strength in Christ's strengthening us. And as I, I want to close with this one illustration here that I heard actually pretty recently, um, and I think it just kind of illustrates this point really well. It's another pastor out in California, and so I, I'm going to steal his illustration because as any good teacher, we steal illustrations all the time. So, <clears throat> but I think it illustrates this point well. Let's say you have a pet fish that you really like. What would happen and what would you think if I came over to your house walked in your door, grabbed your fish, and tossed them on the floor. First off, once you got over the shock of like, he just walked in and threw a fish on the floor, you would be like, what are you doing? Like, put that fish back in the water. You're killing that fish. Like, that fish is not supposed to be out of the water. It can't breathe. Get that fish back in the water. And see, as Christians, we're like fish, and Christ is like the water. We are designed, we are made to be in him and surrounded by him. We are made to be abiding with and surrounded by Christ as a fish is with water. And all too often in our lives, we're like a fish who has jumped out of the water and we're flailing on the ground and things are going wrong in our lives and we're freaking out because we can't breathe. And so we look to like, oh, maybe I just need to like, you know, flop into a more comfortable position or like somebody just give me a glass of water or we're like, well, at least I'm not as bad off as that frozen fish in the freezer, <laughs> right? We're just looking around and we're comparing ourselves and in our actual lives, it's a similar thing. You know, things are not going well. So we start throwing more money at things. We're like, okay, I need more money. Okay, I need less money. Okay, I need more relationships. I need to get out of this relationship. And Christ is just saying, Get back in the water. You know, just come abide with me. Be surrounded with me. And you can be content in these situations because I'm the one who gives you the contentment. We are not going to, nothing is going to work in our lives. We are not going to have this contentment when we are not where we're designed to be. In all situations, we can be content. In everything, everywhere, And in all things, Paul says, I have learned to be content. For all things, I can have strength in Christ's strengthening in me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning just for your word. 
I pray that we would abide by this principle and abide in you, Lord. Lord, help us to get our focus off of just everything that's going on around us, the things that we do have, the things that we don't have, the things that in comparison to what other people have or we do or don't have, Lord, help us to enjoy the things that we do have and abide and live with you. It is a principle that is easy to talk about, but is hard to put into actions. And we know that obviously we need your strength because it's your strengthening in us that any of these principles can come to fruition in our lives. I pray that we would get better at living with and abiding with you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.